Part 5, Chapter 4 of Home Education Series, Volume 1, Home Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Home Education Series, Volume 1, Home Education by Charlotte Mason. Part 5, Chapter 4. Read by J. L. Baldwin. Reading. Time of Teaching to Read, an Open Question. Reading presents itself first among the lessons to be used as instruments of education, although it is open to discussion whether the child should acquire the art unconsciously, from his infancy upwards, or whether the effort should be deferred until he is, say, six or seven, and then made with vigor. In a valuable letter addressed to her son John, we have the way of teaching to read, adopted by that pattern mother, the mother of the Wesleys. Mrs. Wesley's Plan None of them was taught to read till five years old except Kezi, in whose case I was overruled, and she was more years in learning than any of the rest had been months. The way of teaching was this. The day before a child began to learn, the house was set in order, everyone's work appointed them, and a charge given that no one should come into the room from nine to twelve or from two to five, which were our school hours. One day was allowed the child wherein to learn its letters, and each of them did in that time know all its letters, great and small, except Molly and Nancy, who were a day and a half before they knew them perfectly, for which I thought them then very dull, but the reason why I thought them so was because the rest learned them so readily, and your brother Samuel, who was the first child I ever taught, learned the alphabet in a few hours. He was five years old the 10th of February. The next day he began to learn, and as soon as he knew the letters, began at the first chapter of Genesis. He was taught to spell the first verse, then to read it over and over until he could read it offhand without hesitation, so on to the second verse, etc., till he took ten verses for a lesson, which he quickly did. Easter fell low that year, and by Whitsuntide he could read a chapter very well, for he read continually and had such a prodigious memory that I cannot remember to have told him the same word twice. What was yet stranger, any word he had learnt in his lesson he knew wherever he saw it, either in his Bible or any other book, by which means he learned very soon to read an English author well. It is much to be wished that thoughtful mothers would more often keep account of the methods they employ with their children, with some definite note of the success of this or that plan. Many persons consider that to learn to read a language so full of anomalies and difficulties as our own is a task which should not be imposed too soon on the childish mind. But as a matter of fact, few of us can recollect how or when we learned to read, for all we know it came by nature, like the art of running. And not only so, but often mothers of the educated classes do not know how their children learn to read. Oh, he taught himself, is all the account his mother can give of little Dick's proficiency whereby it is plain that this notion of the extreme difficulty of learning to read is begotten by the elders rather than by the children. There would be no little books entitled Reading Without Tears if tears were not sometimes shed over the reading lesson. But, really, when that is the case, the fault rests with the teacher. The Alphabet As for his letters, the child usually teaches himself. He has his box of ivory letters and picks out P for pudding, B for blackbird, H for horse, big and little, and knows them both. But the learning of the alphabet should be made a means of cultivating the child's observation. He should be made to see what he looks at. Make a big B in the air, and let him name it. 
then let him make round o and cricket s and t for tommy and you name the letters as the little finger forms them with unsteady strokes in the air to make the small letters thus from memory is a work of more art and requires more careful observation on the child's part a tray of sand is useful at this stage the child draws his finger boldly through the sand and then puts a back to his d and behold his first essay in making a straight line and a curve but the devices for making the learning of the abc interesting are endless there is no occasion to hurry the child let him learn one form at a time and know it so well that he can pick out the d's say big and little in a page of large print let him say d for duck dog doll thus d uck d og prolonging the sound of the initial consonant and at last sounding d alone not d but d the mere sound of the consonant separated as far as possible from the following vowel let the child alone and he will learn the alphabet for himself but few mothers can resist the pleasure of teaching it and there is no reason why they should for this kind of learning is no more than play to the child and if the alphabet be taught to the little student his appreciation of both form and sound will be cultivated when should he begin whenever his box of letters begins to interest him the baby of two will often be able to name half a dozen letters and there is nothing against it so long as the finding and naming of letters is a game to him but he must not be urged required to show off teased to find letters when his heart is set on other play word making the first exercises in the making of words will be just as pleasant to the child exercises treated as a game which yet teach the powers of the letters will be better to begin with than actual sentences take up two of his letters and make the syllable at tell him it is the word we use when we say at home at school then put b to at bat c to at cat fat hat mat sat rat and so on first let the child say what the word becomes with each initial consonant then let him add the right consonant to at in order to make hat pat cat let the syllables all be actual words which he knows set the words in a row and let him read them off do this with the short vowel sounds in combination with each of the consonants and the child will learn to read off dozens of words of three letters and will master the short vowel sounds with initial and final consonants without effort before long he will do the lesson for himself how many words can you make with n and another letter with odd and another letter etc do not hurry him word making with long vowels etc when this sort of exercise becomes so easy that it is no longer interesting let the long sounds of the vowels be learnt in the same way use the same syllables as before with a final e thus at becomes eight and we get late pate rate etc the child may be told that a in rate is long a a in rat is short a he will make the new sets of words with much facility helped by the experience he gained in the former lessons then the same sort of thing with final ng ing ang ong ung as ring fang long sung initial the as then that final th as with pith hath lath and so on through endless combinations which will suggest themselves this is not reading but it is preparing the ground for reading words will be no longer unfamiliar perplexing objects when the child meets with them in a line of print 
require him to pronounce the words he makes with such finish and distinctness that he can himself hear and count the sounds in a given word. Early spelling. Accustom him from the first to shut his eyes and spell the word he has made. This is important. Reading is not spelling, nor is it necessary to spell in order to read well. But the good speller is the child whose eye is quick enough to take in the letters which compose it, in the act of reading off a word. And this is a habit to be acquired from the first. Accustom him to see the letters in the word, and he will do so without effort. If words were always made on a given pattern in English, if the same letters always represented the same sounds, learning to read would be an easy matter for the child would soon acquire the few elements of which all words would, in that case, be composed. But many of our English words are each a law unto itself. There is nothing for it but the child must learn to know them at sight. He must recognize which, precisely as he recognizes B, because he has seen it before, being made to look at it with interest, so that the pattern of the word is stamped on his retentive brain. This process should go on side by side with the other, the learning of the powers of the letters. For the more variety you can throw into his reading lessons, the more will the child enjoy them. Lessons in word-making help him to take intelligent interest in words, but his progress in the art of reading depends chiefly on the reading at sight lessons. Reading at sight. The teacher must be content to proceed very slowly, securing the ground under her feet as she goes. Say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, is the first lesson just those two lines. Read the passage for the child very slowly, sweetly, with just expression, so that it is pleasant to him to listen. Point to each word as you read. Then point to twinkle, wonder, star, what, and expect the child to pronounce each word in the verse taken promiscuously. Then, when he shows that he knows each word by itself, and not before, let him read the two lines with clear enunciation and expression. Insist from the first on clear, beautiful reading, and do not let the child fall into a dreary monotone, no more pleasant to himself than to his listener. Of course, by this time, he is able to say the two lines, and let him say them clearly and beautifully. In his after-lessons he will learn the rest of the little poem. The Reading of Prose At this stage his reading lessons must advance so slowly that he may just as well learn his reading exercises, both prose and poetry, as recitation lessons. Little poems suitable to be learned in this way will suggest themselves at once. But perhaps prose is better on the whole as offering more of the words in everyday use, of Saxon origin and of anomalous spelling. Short fables and such graceful simple prose as we have in Mrs. Gatty's Parables from Nature, and still better in Mrs. Barbeau's prose poems, are very suitable. Even for their earliest reading lessons, it is unnecessary to put twaddle into the hands of children. But we have not yet finished the reading lesson on Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. The child should hunt through two or three pages of good clear type for little, star, you, are, each of the words he has learned, until the word he knows looks out upon him like the face of a friend in the crowd of strangers, and he is able to pounce upon it anywhere. Lest he grow weary of the search, the teacher should guide him unawares to the line or paragraph where the word he wants occurs. Already the child has accumulated a little capital. He knows eight or ten words so well that he will recognize them anywhere, and the lesson has occupied probably ten minutes. The next reading at sight lesson will begin with a hunt for the familiar words, and then, up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky, 
should be gone through in the same way. As spelling is simply the art of seeing, seeing the letters in a word as we see the features of a face, say to the child, can you spell sky, or any of the shorter words? He is put on his mettle, and if he fail this time, be sure he will be able to spell the word when you ask him next. But do not let him learn to spell or even say the letters aloud with the word before him. As for understanding what they read, the children will be full of bright, intelligent remarks and questions, and will take this part of the lesson into their own hands. Indeed, the teacher will have to be on her guard not to let them carry her away from the subject. Careful Pronunciation The little people will probably have to be pulled up on the score of pronunciation. They must render high, sky, like, world, with delicate precision. Diamond, they will no doubt wish to hurry over and say as diamond, just as they will reduce history to history. But here is another advantage of slow and steady progress. The saying of each word receives due attention, and the child is trained in the habit of careful enunciation. Every day increases the number of words he is able to read at sight, and the more words he knows already, the longer his reading lesson becomes, in order to afford the ten or a dozen new words which he should master every day. A year's work. But what a snail's progress, you are inclined to say. Not so slow, after all. A child will thus learn, without appreciable labor, from two to three thousand words in the course of a year. In other words, he will learn to read, for the mastery of this number of words will carry him with comfort through most of the books that fall in his way. Ordinary Method Now compare the steady progress and constant interest and liveliness of such lessons with the deadly weariness of the ordinary reading lesson. The child blunders through a page or two in a dreary monotone without expression, with imperfect enunciation. He comes to a word he does not know, and he spells it. That throws no light on the subject, and he is told the word. He repeats it, but as he has made no mental effort to secure the word, the next time he meets with it the same process is gone through. The reading lesson for that day comes to an end. The pupil has been miserably bored and has not acquired one new word. Eventually he learns to read, somehow, by mere dint of repetition, but consider what an abuse of his intelligence is a system of teaching which makes him undergo daily labor with little or no result, and gives him a distaste for books before he has learned to use them. End of Part 5, Chapter 4